0: on Local Now, Channel 525.
1: If you go to court, you obviously want a lawyer who's going to go to bat for you 10,000%. Somebody who's sympathetic and understands your plight. We'll see that in the spiritual realm next. long for a judge, a priest, a representative, somebody who can stand on our behalf in front of God and sympathize and empathize and be the one who understands. Nobody does that like Jesus. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard who returns us to Hebrews chapters four and five. We're looking at our high priest and how he accurately, adequately and supersedes our expectations in representing us to God. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Stonewall Jackson was such an incredible soldier.
0: And one of the reasons was he believed in predestination. And his famous line was, My life and my work is immortal till God's through with him." And one of his own men shot him. And all the smoke from the battle and all that... He wasn't shot by a Union soldier, shot by a Confederate. His work was done. The greatest cavalryman of the Civil War was just shot by his own man. But he was a predestinarian. God's got my day's number. God's got my life marked out. And here Christ is praying in the garden, and he's now saying, uh, Prayers and supplications. I'm asking for help with loud cries and tears to Him. the The rabbis had different levels of praying. They called entreaties, uh, tears, loud crying. This is a desperate man. Take this cup from me. I don't want the death that's coming. It's scary. It's not. I'm on some kind of tranquilizer that I don't know what I'm facing. He's in agony of soul, perspiration that looked like blood. I don't believe it was blood, but the perspiration was so thick on his brow, you thought it was drops of blood. He's wrestling. It's agonizing. And his disciples are asleep. Nobody can help him. Nobody can rescue him. And three times God the Son says, take the cup from me, please. Take it. Is there any other way? And all the time in his ministry, I must go to the cross. I came to die. I must give up my life. But now the humanity of Christ is crying out against the assignment. He truly entered into the anguish and agony of the human experience. And he's crying out To the God who was able to save him from death. Let me ask you this. Did God answer his prayer? He went to the cross. Probably what he's praying is, don't let me rot. Fulfill what the psalmist said. Don't let me go to Sheol and stay there and the skin worms eat my body. Resurrect me. Get me out of the grip. I must die. I know I must die. Raise me soon. I don't want to stay in Sheol. And three days was enough. Christianity, isn't it amazing, was born in a sealed cave when God said, I'm satisfied. Skin worms won't eat my son. And resurrected him. Just like that. He answered his prayer. He truly did. Still went to the cross, but death cannot keep its prey. Cannot even conquer death. So he's in this agony who's able to save him. I'm in agony about the cross and other times he went and prayed all night, staggered at the unbelief he was meeting, staggered over the pain he saw, the deaths, the leprosy, the poverty, all the people we in dire straits. And he felt their pain over and over. He felt their pain. He felt compassion. This is a sympathetic high priest that can sympathize. You come to him, I can't pay a bill. Don't worry, I've been there. Death. Don't cry at a funeral. He did. Stoics. He did He was broken. His heart ached over Lazarus. He ached over Mary and Martha and their grief. Oh, this is a Savior that is tender emotions, tender emotions, able to sympathize. And some believers, I look in your face, I sense none of that. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're stuffy. It'd be great if we could advertise in our manner, in our countenance, I want to understand you. I don't want to criticize you. I'd like to understand you. But when you're consumed with yourself, you can't take much time to understand somebody else. You know, I live with back pain so long and five surgeries, and I've got a daughter that lives with it. Facing more surgeries. uh, Just a wreck. Knees back. Chronic sufferers are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they don't want to tell you one more time they're hurting. You just don't get enough sympathy to make it worth it. And just say, how are you feeling? Well, I feel like I did the last time. I'm in pain. Well, you said that last time. I thought you'd get over it. Get over it? You don't get over pinched nerves. You don't get over herniated discs. You don't get over chronic conditions. You don't get over, I'm kind of a wreck, but I'm here by faith. (laughs) But that doesn't mean I'm not hurting. Maxine Kyle, one of our dear African-American sisters, 95 now. She, if she was in good health, she would choke me. she never want you to know her age. Ninety-five. Little Maxine. She calls me once in a while, and this is her line. Pastor, I just can't make it out like I used to. Driving herself to church till she was 93. Morning and night. And then she says this line. I just want to say, Pastor, my spirit's willing, but my flesh is weak. Do you think God will give her a pass or not making it at 95? And the body's caving in. Jesus says, I went through such agony. Matter of fact, I bore their sicknesses. I bore their pain. And there was this model. I I don't know how to say this. You're going to misinterpret me. But I want to say it anyway. He was sad an awfully lot. For Isaiah said, he shall be called a man of sorrow. He wasn't giddy. I don't think it was a sin for him to laugh. But he was known as a man of sorrow. He was bearing the infirmities, the sorrows, the pain of the people he came among. And this is one who's known heaven, known perfect fellowship. He knew what the world was like before sin. He, knew, he knows what perfect is. He knows what perfect environment, perfect obedience. But he said, I'm going to enter so I can be touched. So I can be touched. Some of you want exemption from human suffering. You won't go to the hospital. You don't want to work with kids. You want to be into a mature Bible study in a nice house because I don't want to get dirty. Don't get too close to sinners, and God forbid anybody from the hood come, because we don't want to be bothered. We want to make believe that everybody around you is going to heaven. The majority are going to hell, and I'm afraid we may not care. That's what I have to fight. As long as I go to heaven, why care if they go to hell? Jesus cares. Do you? That's the issue. The problem isn't with Jesus. It's with us. He can sympathize. He can sympathize, I think, with a man going to hell. He wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I came to gather you up as a mother hen to protect you from the hawk that's flying around and wanting to devour you in the barnyard. They'll do it, you know. I've come to gather you. I've come to love you. I've come to protect you and save you more than just from Rome, but from eternal separation from your God. I've come to gather up the children of Abraham, and I'm weeping that you won't have me. I want to represent you. I want to rescue you, and you want to kill me. I'm weeping over you, Jerusalem. My heart's crushed that you don't want me. He can sympathize. And he said he was heard because of his reverential fear. Now, watch this. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What is that saying? If you're born into royalty, you can get exemption from war. If you're born into royalty, you can be exemption from the military. Although he was a son, he got no exemption from suffering. That's what he's saying. He wouldn't take it. He said, though I'm a son, though I'm de- the delight of my father, he still learned the experiential aspect of obeying when it costs you to obey. You know what? Most of us, Malcolm Muckeridge said, Most of life's greatest lessons are learned in suffering. Any humility you got, you probably got it from a humiliating, humbling experience. Broken home, prodigal children, bankruptcy, lots of pain. You just, that's why I quote my dad so much. So much of the history had already happened before the baby boy comes along so that all that ancient history, as it were, all that suffering, 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 then I get the last 10 years of his life with all this vintage wisdom, born not in reading books, but in surviving suffering. As I went to hear uh, Ellie Wazell in the YMHA, Young Men Hebrews Association, in Manhattan this last, in November. You know why you listen? You know why you put your ear to the ground? You just read Ellie's book, Night. You read about the Holocaust and how they took his mother and his sister when they got him at Auschwitz. And they took them that night. He never saw them again. But then he stayed with his old daddy. And he watched his daddy die. Watched his daddy driven like an animal. And this young boy of 15, he said, my God died at Auschwitz. He was a young, devout Jewish boy. Probably could have been headed for being a rabbi. Very devout. But the suffering. And so when the Eli speaks up, we listen. We listen. After I see Selma, I want to hear. I used to, when I spoke at the NAACP here in town. When Cynthia Marshall put me up, I said, I want somebody to represent Selma in Birmingham. And she gave me her mother, who was there when the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed. We got Cynthia's mother to sing. And I want to tell you, you can have church by the time that old holiness woman sung who grew up in Birmingham in segregation and suffering and pain. I listened to people who've suffered. I don't listen to people who've got it all together and always had a silver spoon in their mouth. And so I listen to a Savior that suffered. You understand. You know what I'm going through. You know how to do something to aid me. Then it goes on to say, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what is he saying? Uh, he was appointed to represent us. He's able to sympathize with us. And here it says he became perfect. How do you make perfection perfect? How do you make a God that uh, never sinned perfect? The word perfect here had the idea of completing a goal. Running across the goal line. So the interesting little Greek word teleos. It's used in maturity, and the idea is you achieve the goal. You you became what you ought to be. And it's saying in all of his suffering, his obedience was perfect. He crossed the line. He did exactly what the Father wanted all the way up to the cross. He was perfect in his obedience. And it's not the perfection of his humanity. It's the perfection of his office. He perfectly ran the full course of representing us, even the death of a cross. He represented us perfectly. And then he says, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obeying God and believing God are used synonymously. Romans 1, 5, the obedience of faith. John 6 said, this is the work of God, that you believe in his Son. Faith is the work that saves. Faith is the work that saves. Now, let's, let's do a little thinking here. In Hebrews 4, 13, it says, The word of God lays you bare that you're naked before God. There's nothing to hide. He knows everything about you. And uh, we've got a high priest that represents us. And offers sacrifices. He's got to do something about our sins. So he represents us, but the Old Testament high priest had to bring sacrifices for what we've done. Now, what do we have up here? We have a representative for God's people who offers the sacrifice of himself. He doesn't bring one, he is the sacrifice. And he represents us. Now, I want you to. Think of this. Think of this as going to court. Going to court and having sinned. Uh, And if you remember Lincoln, Lincoln says a man who defends himself in court as a lawyer has a fool for a client. Uh, They could not imagine, they could not imagine in the ancient world and even today that anybody would be so foolish as to represent themselves in court. I mean, you're charged. I know I went to court and represented myself and lost. It went this way. I had an accountant that was doing my taxes, always put me under a Schedule A, and that was fine for me. I'm not the accountant. I ought to be a Schedule C. Well, they red-tagged me five years in a row. Five years. My accountant says, don't go see this local IRS rep. Uh, Found out later, he and this rep were in a spat. They didn't get along. So I was never allowed to enter. Okay, I'm just following counsel, what this accountant said. Then he finally says, after the fifth time, says, you know what? Uh, We need to go to court. I can't represent you. Uh, and don't get a lawyer because they go easier if you represent yourself. Big mistake. Well, federal court. I had a circuit riding court here. Federal tax court meets in San Francisco. And the guy who was out from Washington, D.C., redheaded, balding, wore glasses, and don't mess. I saw him nearly three. He, he threw out nearly two lawyers while I'm waiting my case. This one lawyer did like this. I'm just watching this. This place is packed. And this lawyer did it like that. And and the judge speaks up. Mr. So-and-so, I will throw you out of this court if you nod your head one more time. Do you understand? I didn't come from D.C. to have a lawyer nodding to the client. Oh, I'm, I'm like this now. This is the judge I'm going before. And I got my little brief, you know. And... Before I went into the courtroom, I'm going up and down these corridors and all I see is about 50 different lawyers for the federal government. And they're talking to each other. And they're this and that. I think, wait, all these guys are on the side of who I'm going up against? The government says I owe them taxes. My accountant says I don't. And he says I could defend myself. Do you get the picture? This is called idiocy. And and so I'm going there. Carolyn had the nerve to go with me. She said in the gallery. And so Mr. Howard versus the United States government. I mean, that very announcement. (laughs) Phil, Mr. Howard versus the United States government and his 50 lawyers. I thought, you've got to be kidding. It was only $2,000. Let's just pay it. So uh, I go up. I permit, present this flimsy case the best I could. And then the uh, judge, he goes to the federal lawyer. He said, sir, uh, what do you have to say? Mr. Howard owes us this much money. He has no case. Uh, that, that's it. He ought to be Schedule C instead of A. I don't think his accountant knows what he's doing. This is our case. And this judge, he just points at me, he says, come here, Mr. Howard, meet me in my chair. Oh, you know, all right, give me the death sentence. We go back there, (laughs) and and this federal lawyer comes back with me. Has me sit down, he looks at me, he says, Mr. Howard, You're having bad counsel. Your accountant doesn't know what he's doing. I don't believe you're a crook. Pay us $2,500 and get out of here. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. Never again. I fired my accountant. By the way, this was kind of fun. We stayed in court so late that the garage where my car was had been locked in. And the federal lawyers gave me a ride home. <laughs> the guy trying me. Let me tell you what I found out. When you go to court, you better have somebody that can represent you. Right. And when you're dealing with God, don't think you can represent yourself. He said it all the way from the Old Testament you need a middleman if you're going to have a relationship with God. You're naked. You're guilty, you're sinful, and I don't want to hear your case without a middleman. So now I've appointed you one mediator that will represent your case. And it's no one less than my son. He's taking your case. And that's what he's saying. So I have a representative on high. So what should this mean to you besides you being asleep during the sermon? Uh, what should this mean? Uh, when guilt, when weakness, when sin, when shortcoming, uh, you know, you, all your life you said you're ugly, and you might be. Uh, you said you're a failure. You may be. Who convinced you of that? With all your hang-ups, all your hang-ups, how could I ever have a relationship with God? God says, how dare you undo the representation of my son for you. He doesn't see you guilty anymore. He doesn't see you just weak, for your standing before God is based upon his work, not yours. So the guilt we heap on ourselves, our weaknesses, our failures, our foibles, all oh, that's wrong with us. We have ugly days. We have ugly moods. Well, come on. Someday you just blew it. And you said, how in the world could I have a right standing with God? It's who's representing you. And he represents you on the basis of what he's done for you so that you walk out of the court, not guilty, cleared, free, already paid. And so... I don't think that's too bad. I don't think that's too bad. So he's telling these dear believers, suffering believers, you want to go back to the Aaronic priesthood? You want to go back to temple? You want to go back to synagogue? This is the best thing you could ever have, an offering, one representing you who is the Son of God one who's been appointed by God, one in a higher order of priesthood than even Aaron. He's in a Melchizedek
1: order, and we'll look at it later. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available